Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Coming up on this week's show, Paramount Plus adds more soccer streaming rights, Clint Dempsey is coming to US TV, why the next MLS TV deal just got a little bit more interesting, we have news about ESPN's Euro 2020 coverage, Telemundo prepares for the Summer Olympics, what the future holds for BN Sports post La Liga, and your feedback in the Listener Mailbag segment. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, joined alongside my co-host, Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, we finally met up <laughs> this weekend, over the last few, last few days. Uh, it's been well over a year in the planning, and of course, COVID screwed up uh, plans uh, numerous times. Uh, but it was great to see you in person. Uh, of course, we've met many, many, many times in the past, but... Uh, in the last couple of years, I, I moved away to northern Florida. You're still in southern Florida, and we finally met up. And, and I really appreciate you coming up, and it was a good uh, good few days spent. Yeah, I appreciate you and your family hosting me. I, I'm working on research for a book on Florida history, totally unrelated to soccer, but book on Florida history I'm writing, and was planning on coming up the third week of March last year to stay with you, 2020. And then COVID hit uh, early March in the U.S., right, February in Europe, and uh, have not left my area, the, the 30 or 40 mile radius around me, other than having to do one uh, match for PASL, uh, adult league I manage uh, in Naples, Florida. I had not left my area for 18, whatever, 16 months, however long it is, 14 months, which for me, someone who travels frequently has been uh, – awful so i really appreciated the first trip out of my area uh was coming to visit you yeah it was great to see you it was funny too because uh monday so, so kartik came into town uh sunday evening after all of the the games ended so you mean you had the the title deciders uh in in the french league you had the last day with the champions league uh playoffs uh in Serie A. you had the last day of the premier league season and much, much more. So when Kartik came up uh, late, late Sunday, Kartik and I spent Monday uh, researching his book, going around St. Augustine in Florida, uh, which was really enjoyable. But uh, 
I, I think I said to you, Kartik, I said, this is great. This is actually kind of a day of rest after I mean, what, what's been a very long season, what's been a, a very long 12 to 14 months, uh, expecting that Monday and this week would be a quiet week other than Champions League and Europa League. And boy, were, were we wrong? Well, was I wrong? So, so many announcements this week. Um, we're going to get to in a little bit. Uh, there's so much news, so much listener uh, mailbag. This is probably one of the most, um, f- for an English ex- expression, one of the most chock-a-block episodes. It's going to be jam-packed, filled with a lot of information about soccer streaming options and TV options. So uh, hold on for the ride. Now, Kartik, what was interesting is that uh, this week CBS Sports did a press conference uh, for U.S. journalists to talk about uh, the Champions League, of course, uh, the, the preparations for that and the Europa League, as well as a lot of the other announcements that they made. This was probably the longest press conference I was ever uh, attended, an hour and a half uh, from start to finish, action-packed. We've got some clips of that, which we'll play in a little bit. But what was interesting, I found, was that on this press conference uh, with CBS Sports, the head of CBS Sports that said that if it wasn't for Paramount Plus, CBS would not be making the acquisition deals that it's been doing for the UEFA Champions League, Serie A, and countless other leagues and tournaments from around the world. I asked him about Premier League and I asked him about Major League Soccer, uh, how much of an interest is there. And um, being the gentleman that he was and being the, the, the business executive, uh, he avoided that question and, and basically said that he doesn't like to talk about rights deals when, uh, when there's uh, uh, other broadcasters currently have the rights. So um, there's definitely interest there. We just don't know um, I mean, if they're going to go all in to try to get that. Um, but given some of the latest announcements that we'll get we'll get to in the news, anything's possible. And then one more thing, Kartik, before uh, I get your feedback here. On a separate call with a uh, with an executive from a sports network that will re- remain anonymous, uh, the pers- the person confided with me on the uh, economics of soccer rights, and a network could acquire Soccer League and get less than a dollar per subscriber from cable television. So say if a sports network said, okay, I want to get uh, acquire the rights to whatever league it is, um, and then the number of subscribers that, that subscribe to that cable television uh, provider, maybe, maybe it's Comcast. Comcast would pay that uh, TV network probably anywhere from uh, less than a dollar uh, to maybe a little bit more than a dollar. If you're ESPN, you're, you're getting several dollars per subscriber, but it's probably less than a dollar. Or that same network can go and go direct to consumer uh, and having have a streaming product that completely bypasses cable uh, and satellite, cuts out the middleman. And that sports TV network with that streaming service could get anywhere from $5 to $10 per subscriber. Um, so the economics of that really kind of hit home for me. I mean, this is a topic we've been talking about for the last several years. But that, that's one of the reasons why, one of the major reasons why in our news segment uh, coming up pretty soon, there's so much streaming information. If anything, soccer's taking over streaming and streaming's taking over soccer. It's just it, uh, crazy how much 
how much things are changing, how much news there is week after week, Kartik. It, it's really hard to keep up. Uh, thankfully, we are keeping up, and this is one of the reasons for this podcast, but it's a lot of hard work. Yeah, and uh, constantly we have new properties in play also, properties uh, that uh, sometimes we don't even think about on the English language side, and things that have been stuck on kind of third and fourth tier linear channels, uh, uh, networks like BN, 11 Sports, Goal TV, now in play for the streaming services just to add more soccer content, and whatever niche audience that particular piece of soccer content might have would then be... Uh, potential subscribers to Paramount Plus or ESPN Plus or uh, Peacock. So uh, they, they we're seeing a consolidation also as part of this, Chris, with soccer properties moving to the big networks, so to speak, or the big the big media companies. A lot of niche soccer properties have been held by uh, by sports marketing companies. They've been ha- held by uh, uh, by media rights uh, as part of portfolio of, of uh, companies that shop media rights, or they've been held with, as I said, fourth-tier cable channels we don't think about, uh, or uh, streaming services like the Fanatises and the Fubos that are not uh, necessarily what we think of as mainstream huge parts of larger um, gargantuan media companies. So there's a consolidation of, of soccer properties with uh, the company with the the parent companies of of uh, ESPN, NBC, and CBS, and that's uh, I guess in some ways very good for the consumer if you're willing to shell out the money for streaming. Uh, but I guess it's not great for the consumer if you're a cable subscriber, and that's that's the way you consume your soccer. Yeah, in the past, if you wanted to watch the Belgian league, or if you wanted to watch um, maybe the Asian Champions League, or uh, some of the Asian nations, uh, the, the national games, uh, or maybe the Indian Super League, just just as a or Indian Premier League, just as a few examples, uh, going back a few years ago, you wouldn't have been able to actually see those games, and and now you can. Now there are going to be uh, con- uh, consumer, direct to consumer streaming uh, providers that offer those games. Uh, the other the other example too, where you're talking about uh, cable channels, sometimes it would be such a niche cable station. Um, Fox Soccer Plus is probably a good example of that, where Fox Soccer Plus uh, had a lot of soccer programming in the past. Most most of it now is rugby or uh, Australian Australian football, um, the 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 oval kinds, not 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 the round ball uh, kind, but. Many TV providers, many, uh, I mean, whether it's Comcast or if it was uh, some of the other uh, cable services out there, many of them did not even offer Fox Soccer Plus. So it was th- those games were hidden on that network. Yes, you could have signed up for Fox Soccer Match Pass uh, and, and uh, Fox TV and some of those streaming services, but that was $20 a month or more. Um, and then also on top of that, too, if you wanted to get Fox Soccer Plus, you could get that if you could find a cable network that, that a provider that would show it. But oftentimes, again, that would be I mean, maybe $20 a month just for that one channel that didn't have a lot of games anyway. So there's more choices. There's more availability. Um, there's more leagues available to us. With that, there is a price tag involved in that. Uh, and I think it's one of those things that for the consumer, for for you, Kartik, for me and for the listener, we're, we're at a point now where we have to basically pick and choose what we want to watch. 
Uh, in the past, they go back 10 years or 10 or 15 years ago uh, with a, a channel like Fox Soccer Channel. You might have had, had access to about four or five different leagues. And it was probably the Premier League, uh, the German League, the Spanish League, the Argentine League, and maybe one other league I'm not thinking of. But from those leagues, you probably would have like two or three Premier League games, usually one or two Spanish games, one or two uh, German games, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And today, I mean, with streaming, you have the ability to watch every single game, to have access to every single game. And, and that's something we didn't have before. So, yeah, it's been a busy week. <laughs> Kartik, uh anything you, you saw from this past week that you want to mention? You, you don't have to if you don't want to, but um, we've got a lot to get to. But if there's anything that stood out, if not, we will move on to um, our recommended games to watch this weekend. Not, not, nothing that really uh, stood out other than I thought CBS, again, pulled another rabbit out of their hat, bringing Rafa Benitez in to the studio, yeah. Europa League. Uh, Europa League final uh, 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 obviously uh, a manager of incredible pedigree who who's well, won a European finals uh, had actually won this competition with Chelsea, people forget that, the Europa League uh, but uh, has won U- European competitions, has been in uh, finals with Liverpool, uh, with Valencia uh, obviously uh, had a great run in Valencia so that was, uh, that was a nice little treat the thing that amazes me, Chris, is CBS's ability, and maybe it's being based in London. Is that what it is? It has to be. Uh, to, to, to get some of these sorts of uh, people in studio that I would have loved to have seen on U.S. networks in the past, uh, even just for a one-off. So that, that was a nice treat having Rafa Benitez on, and I thought CBS did a uh, – a tremendous job in, in covering the final. I mean, I was I I, I had been feeling in recent uh, months maybe CBS had kind of tailed off and they had had some silly things in their pre-match shows and it gotten kind of predictable and stale at times. The shtick had gotten kind of stale, but then uh, today was fantastic and uh, Guillaume Balaguer, Balaguer uh, having that interview with Unai Emery. I, I I don't necessarily like pre-game features and interviews all the time, but I really enjoyed that interview. I thought it was it was really well done. So mm-hmm. uh, hats off to CBS. That was a, a really good presentation for a final and uh, erased some of my concerns about them in, 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 in the previous shows that we've talked about. I, I thought this was outstanding. Yeah, have, having the two of them available, I mean, uh, both uh, Guillaume Balaguer and uh, Rafa Benitez was a smart decision because they were able to really inform the, the viewer more about Villarreal and uh, Benitez, of, co- of course, being Spanish, but having coached in Spain. And then Guillaume Balaguer and his, um, you can tell he's, a, he's one of the top pros when it comes to being reporters and has good relationships with the key people in football, understands the Spanish game as well as the world's game, but is really eloquent. And, and to me, I think he he's really the star of the show, and in some ways he's kind of the unspoken hero because so much of the f- the focus is on the Jamie Carragher's or the Peter Schmeichel's or uh, the Michael Richards, and they all do a great job as well as Roberto Martinez and Kay Abdo. We can go on and on and on, but Guillaume is uh, is always a joy to watch. Always informative, uh, has a great balance between um, being being fun to watch on, on camera. Uh, but also being very, very informed. And, and, and that, me, that, that was a great decision. Let me make one other point, and we don't see this often from American broadcasters uh, broadcasting soccer. Kate Abdo's kind of, uh, it appeared to be on the fly. Uh, Kate Abdo's 
uh, thought that maybe we should go to Rob Green, who is a former, obviously, uh, England international goalkeeper, to get uh, some thoughts about penalty kicks from a goalkeeper's perspective. He is the co-commentator uh, alongside Clive Tilsley, but she makes the kind of audible, uh, to use an American football term, uh, on the fly and gets some pretty good feedback from Rod Gre- Rob Green. That was another really good moment of... Uh, television and broadcasting a final where not everything can be canned and 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 by the book and I I, I, I it appeared to me to be uh, a, and her improvising saying hey can can we get Rob Green and uh, he gave some commentary which I thought was outstanding yeah and I thought Clive Tilsley did a really good job with the the commentary yeah. on this one too so he'll be back actually that that was the Europa League final uh, the final is going to be of the Champions League is going to be Peter Drury. Uh, on that one. So, so Kartik, let's move on to um, recommended matches to watch this weekend. Uh, for me, it's it's my personal story. It's my personal club that I've followed uh, in my entire life and since I was like, a, I think, seven years old or eight years old, and, and that's Brentford against Swansea City in the championship playoff final, which is going to be Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern on ESPN+. And for me... This this is a strange one for me too because um, going back ten years ago when it was Reading Reading against Swansea in the uh, the Championship playoff final there and Swansea ultimately was were, were victorious in a re- in a really entertaining game that one I was really nervous about because I was like oh my gosh this is on the precipice of of history for the for this uh, for this team the first opportunity to get into the Premier League for this weekend's game. I have no pressure. I feel no pressure at all as a Swansea City supporter because they they are the underdog. They are a team that um, has really kind of battled this season. Uh, They they beat uh, Norwich, who got promoted. They beat Watford, who got promoted. Um, But Brentford's always been our bogey team. the, The games are always super close. And Brentford always seems to have the edge. So for me, going into this game, I'm going to try to enjoy it. I don't think it's going to be the most attacking-minded, uh, fun game to watch. Swansea are a an incredibly fantastic defensive team, which is not like the Swansea of old. It's not like the Swansea way, which is more of a, a, a tiki-taka uh, style that was developed under many managers, including Brendan Rodgers. But for me, I'm going into this one and knowing that if we lose, it's not the end of the world. If if we win and get promoted, fantastic. Brentford hasn't been in the top flight uh, in England since 1947. If they went up, it'd be a great story. But obviously, I'm hoping that the Swans win, but I'm going into this one with no pressure, uh, and but hoping for a win. Kartik, what about you? What's your game to watch this weekend? So I originally had an MLS game, uh, Portland and Philadelphia, which I think is going to be a great game Sunday night uh, to watch from Major League Soccer. But I I uh, switched it after the first lag earlier today. We're recording this Wednesday night of uh, of Cologne and, and uh, Holstein Kale because uh, that first leg was so good uh, that I think the second leg is going to be lit. The second leg will be on ESPN+. Plus right after or maybe there'll be a little bit of overlap with the Brentford so if the Brentford Swansea match goes into extra time there'll be a little bit of overlap in terms of them both being on ESPN plus at the same time but uh, Holstein Kale for those who, who don't know lost in the same relegation promotion playoff uh, just I think two seasons ago to Wolfsburg uh, and they uh, this season have had two bouts of COVID where they've had 
uh, matches postponed and canceled and have to be pushed back towards the end of the season. And then also had a cup run where they uh, got to the semifinals of the German Cup, losing to eventual winners Borussia Dortmund. But that added even more fixtures. So they've just come off a run of um, playing every three days at a minimum, sometimes they went some one week they went uh, uh, playing every two days or played three times in six days uh, and uh, ran out of gas the last ma- uh, match day of the Bundesliga uh, of the second division season and got beat. So I thought, OK, then you know, they'll just go into this playoff with Cologne and they, they'll have nothing. Well, they went and got an away goal at Cologne and now come back home up a goal with an away goal. They count away goals actually in that, which they don't in the. Uh, championship playoffs. So second leg, uh, it'll be Derek Ray and Casey Keller calling the match for ESPN plus. So that will be on all, um, right after Brentford Swansea Saturday morning, or maybe uh, somewhat simultaneously if Brentford Swansea goes into extra time. All right, let's move on to TV streaming news and let's start actually with the ESPN, the ESPN, uh, announced, uh, this past week that, uh, in terms of Euro 2020, which for me is uh, one of my favorite uh, uh, international tournaments with national teams, probably more so than, than the World Cup. Uh, it, it is really, it pretty much always is highly entertaining. And this one is going to uh, feature uh, 40 games uh, on ESPN of the Euro 2020. ESPN 2 will have six of the games. And then ABC will broadcast five matches. There'll be two group stage matches, two round of 16 matches, and then one quarterfinal. And uh, the other thing that's interesting about this, too, is that um, ESPN Plus will have uh, the games, too. But it's not going to be the television broadcast. It's going to be the different tactical cams and uh, additional feeds. Uh, However, it will contain the audio from the commentators. So if you do have ESPN Plus, you could technically watch Euro 2020, listen to the commentary, watch the game from a different angle, or you can go ahead and get, uh, you mean, on your cable or satellite package or on uh, Sling Orange or Fubo TV, whatever it may be, you can still watch uh, all those games on ESPN, ABC and ESPN2. Kartik, as far as the the actual talent that's going to be doing the games, so, so we know that the commentators... Everyone from John Champion and Taylor Twellman, Ian Dark and Stuart Robson, uh, Steve Cangelosi and Alejandro Marino, uh, Mark Donaldson and uh, Matteo Bonetti, and then uh, Derek Ray and Efren Okoku. So those will be the commentators. Um, the host of the show, the host of the main host of Euro 2020, will be Reese Davis. Uh, we understand that uh, other hosts that will be involved will include uh, Seb Salazar. Uh, Kay Murray um, and others. And then as far as the talent goes, the studio talent, uh, Alejandro, oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> Alessandro Del, P- Del Piero will be one of the main uh, uh, studio analysts, in addition to some other names to be named soon. But based on what you're hearing so far from your sources, uh, what's your feeling about uh, what ESPN's doing in terms of the talent that they're bringing on board Uh, to bring Euro 2020 to us. Yeah, I'm hearing there are going to be some pretty big names in terms of uh, people we know as soccer fans. Maybe not the biggest names in the business. COVID has made it very difficult. There will be people uh, coming to Bristol to be in the studio. There will also be... uh, 
uh, people on site in London. Uh, in fact, they have uh, announced uh, the, the, the pairings for, of commentators. So that includes Ian Dark and Stuart Robson at matches in London. But there is going to be uh, some big names that Premier League fans are very familiar with uh, in particular that are going to be joining the team. We can't, can't uh, reveal that yet. I'm sh- uh, hopefully by next week's podcast, we can talk about that, but uh, some, some big names that I think people are going to uh, like. And then uh, also have to say, if you have not seen Alessandro Del Piero uh, yet on ESPN FC, he is really good. Uh, I, and sometimes you're not sure of great players and particularly this isn't his first language, right? English uh, great players would make really good studio pundits, but he's, he's spot on anytime I see him and he, and he doesn't have, um, you would think, Oh, maybe he's biased towards Italy or towards Juventus. He hasn't shown that at all to me. So uh, excited about that. Uh, additionally, we learned this week, Chris, that there will be a lot of wraparound programming on ESPN Plus, uh, including the ESPN FC show with the usual uh, uh, group, uh, usual cast of characters uh, hosted uh, by Dan Thomas and Kay Murray, uh, and then the the, the, the the regular pundits that come on to that show, as well as, uh, and I'm really excited about this, um, alternate feeds. So, if you are a streaming customer, Chris, you can watch every Euro match on ESPN Plus if you don't have cable, right? You don't have linear television. Yep. You can watch every all 51 matches from the Euros on ESPN Plus, although you will get alternate feeds. You will not get the, the, the same camera angles, etc., that you get on linear television. Conversely, if you are a linear television subscriber or cable subscriber with no streaming packages, you don't have Hulu or you don't have ESPN Plus, you can still watch all 51 matches uh, of the Euros with the breakdown you mentioned. There are a couple ma- six matches on ABC, I think, and then five matches on uh, on uh, ESPN2, and then the rest are all on ESPN. Also, one other note, uh, all the matches that are on ABC, I believe it's six matches, will also be available on ESPN3. So uh, if you're a cable customer that doesn't have a streaming package, you can watch those, the ABC games on ESPN3. Yeah, so it's definitely streaming, adding some uh, other options there for uh, viewers and listeners here. Uh, moving on, CBS Sports. So we saw what they did with the Europa League coverage. Uh, this Saturday is the Champions League final, and they are planning four hours of coverage on the over-the-air free CBS network, the big CBS, which is which is fantastic. Uh, pre-game coverage begins at 1.30 Eastern time. Um, they're going to have a, a show that's hosted by Kate Abdo and will include um, analysts Jay, uh, Jamie Carragher, Roberto Martinez, and Micah Richards, as well as Peter Schmeichel, uh, Guillaume Balegue, uh, and Nico Cantor, and, uh, and then also Jenny Chu. And then that goes on. I mean, of course, you've got the game that starts at 3 o'clock uh, with Peter Drury and Rob Green as the commentators. And then um, also there's going to be a post-game so that the actual broadcast on CBS will end at 5.30 Eastern. But it's going to continue for one more hour on CBS Sports Network until 6.30 p.m. Eastern. So, And then Paramount Plus will feature all five hours of coverage. So pretty amazing. The, the other thing that they're doing, too, is that they're adding a um, star cam, which is going to be available on Paramount Plus. And then with that, which I'm sure Christian Pulisic is going to be one of the stars, uh, it'll be a, a camera fixed on him throughout the game. So if you wanted to watch uh, the Christian Pulisic cam, <laughs> I'm sure you will, Kartik, I know. Um, you can do that. 
as well as some other i'm sure they'll have some other uh, players that you can pick and choose to to watch but uh again it's uh the streaming side of things you can watch the game for uh, on streaming on paramount plus as well as additional content so that's always a, a treat now, Kartik, um, so I was on that conference call this week, so let, let me go ahead and play some clips from that. I'm actually going to start off, the first clip I'm going to do is with um, Clint Dempsey. And uh, so CBS Sports announced this week that um, for their CONCACAF Nations League uh, uh, content, so they, they're going to have uh, many of the games from the CONCACAF Nations League. Uh, they'll be on Paramount+. Plus, as well as, I think, CBS Sports Network. Uh, they announced their talent. So this is going to be a departure from what we're used to from CBS Sports because we've been inundated with Champions League coverage and Europa League coverage. So Kate Abdo is going to be the host. And then you have uh, a different set of analysts. Obviously, I mean, this is CONCACAF Nations League, so you have US-based analysts. Uh, those will include Clint Dempsey, Charlie Davis, and Oguchi Onoweu. And before I play play this clip, Kartik, uh Clint Dempsey, I mean, that's a huge addition for CBS Sports. Uh, the big question is, I mean, from your experience, have you really seen Clint open up and kind of give a heartfelt uh, analysis or, or uh, a discussion of, of anything in, in the past? Uh no, in fact, I've interviewed him, and, and he hasn't. Done, I've interviewed him on multiple occasions. He's he's um. I don't want to say he's guarded. He's very reserved. I mean, I mean gu- he's not guarded. Okay, he will give you some opinions, but he's very reserved, and his tenor is very, uh, just. He's he's so focused as an athlete, right? He's just it's just so zero focused on on winning, doing the best that he can. I mean, and, and giving it his all. The, the, the feeling I've always gotten in the past is that. He doesn't really like doing the interviews part of it. He just likes to, you mean, show himself on on the field and and let that do the talking. But let's 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 play this clip though from from uh, the the press conference uh, where I ask uh, Clint Dempsey a question. Yes, uh, my question is for Clint, and I'm curious in terms of uh, outside of Charlie and Aguchi, who are some of the sports TV analysts that you respect and have learned from? So whether it's soccer or other sports, are there kind of role models that you've seen that have done really well, done, done the analysis really well that you kind of feel that you're, you mean, kind of similar to or, or inspired by? I've never heard him talk about nicely about any commentator out there. I'm just going to throw with that, that one. There. Yeah, good luck with this answer. I'm interested. Uh, me too. Um, that, was a, that was a good question. Really good question. To be honest with you, I've never really thought about it like that. I never even thought that this was something that I was going to do. Um, and, you know, after being out of the game for a while and then having the opportunity to, you know, be around such a cool uh, group of people and, and, and to be back in the game and, and, and watch the national team play and be able to talk, to talk about it, uh, I really – haven't uh, had people that I looked up to, but obviously you you see coverage and you see how well that uh, CBS was doing with the Champions League. You've watched NFL games. You've seen um, Inside the NBA with Charles Barkley and Shaq and just seeing how like cool everybody was and, and joking around and talking about the game that they're passionate about. I mean, that what really excited me about the opportunities when Pete mentioned something about having an environment where everybody can kind of be themselves and 
be vulnerable, but be honest and, and talk about the game in a way that you feel and the way you see it. And, and we might have disagreements, but being able to have that type of environment where um, we can just be, be honest. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that and, and, and trying to replicate that. <laughs> Yeah, Kartik, and that's really interesting too because um, and he mentions Pete, and Pete is uh, Pete Radovich, who's the CBS Sports uh, executive producer, uh, responsible for a lot of the uh, the Champions League uh, coverage and Europa League coverage. And it's interesting to hear Dempsey talk about that, about how CBS are doing things differently. Uh, when you think about it, it's pretty incredible. I mean, in terms of Champions League, Europa League. Uh, and yes, they've gotten the Argentine League, the Brazilian League, but the next major one. This is get, this is getting into US US soccer now. This is the US men's national team, uh, Concacaf region. So now they're coming coming home in some ways. It's uh, it'll be interesting to see how CBS Sports does this because, I mean, will they try to will Kate try to follow a similar path to what they did for the Champions League, or will it be different? And if it will be different, there's always going to be that comparison between how CBS does the CONCACAF Champions League, is it as good or different than the, cha- than, than the, uh, the Champions League? And uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm really intrigued about this one. I, it's going to be a difficult job, but uh, if anyone can do it, maybe CBS Sports can. How, are you confident that uh, they can make this work? Well, they do NWSL, and and that seems to exist in a vacuum because so many people who watch the Champions League, a lot of them don't seem to know even women's football exists. So uh, they've been able to do a very good job in presenting NWSL. In fact, they have a game uh, that I'm going to watch in an hour from now after we're done recording the show that's on CBS Sports Network. Uh, They've they've been able to now broadcast NWSL for two seasons uh, very much – in, a, in a, an Americanized manner, in a manner that is comfortable and familiar to American soccer fans, very different than the way they broadcast UEFA Champions League. Now, the thing that does make this different, Nations League, is Kate Abdo is crossing over because what they have with uh, NWSL is a completely separate team uh, of, of broadcasters and presenters, Jen Hildreth, Ali Wagner, J.P. Delacamera, uh, who, who are familiar and presenting to an American audience an American product. So when you have Kate Abdo, who has done just about everything in her career, uh, but she, and she's worked with Aguchi Anyewu and Marisa Du before uh, at Turner, but um, now you're presenting an Americanized product or a North American product to an American audience. I guess it is a little bit different, but I think they'll be able to thread that needle because they've proven they can with NWSL. In fact, I thought when they got the Champions League, because of the way they presented NWSL, they might um, really highly Americanize the coverage. Remember, mm-hmm. I think I had said that uh, a, a year of, it would be about a year ago because they had already started broadcasting. NWSL was the first league uh, back uh, in the U.S. from uh, from COVID. And uh, they had broadcasted in a very – the production value was really high level, but their, the actual presentation was still very Americanized, if you will. So uh, I think they can thread that needle for sure. Yeah, Aguchi Onoweu is really, really good. I have a lot of respect for him as uh, somebody who I think will do a really good job. Charlie Davis too. I think he's really good on camera. Uh, Clint, I think they can probably warm him up. I mean, uh, uh, warm him up in terms of, I think, Charlie and, and Gooch uh, really kind of bringing him in, giving him the confidence to, to be open uh, and honest and to s- say what he thinks. Because I, I, the feeling I get is that uh, we really haven't heard from the true Clint Dempsey. Uh, there's, there's kind of the 
on camera, off camera Dempsey. And I think uh, if we can get that off camera Dempsey, it might be really required viewing, especially if the if they ask Dempsey, what do you think about the U.S. national team right now? Um, and give us your honest opinion. If he's not guarded and, and does share his honest opinions, whether positive or negative or indi- indifferent, um, that would be great, great TV. So the CBS Sports, so the, that press conference, what I'm going to do is actually I've got a five-minute clip of uh, Jamie Carragher uh, and Micah Richards and Peter Schmeichel. And uh, Micah Richards, Richards especially gave really, really good uh, feedback in terms of what makes um, working for CBS different than working for the UK broadcasters such as uh, Sky Sports and others. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to save that until the very end of the podcast. But let's move on. Um, some other news this week too, Telemundo. So Telemundo um, announced their schedule of games for the Summer Olympics uh, in soccer. It starts uh, July 21st. And uh, the big news here is that uh, Andres Cantor is going to be calling games uh, from on-site in Tokyo. So he will be there. He's going to do uh, some games also for NBC in English which is the first time that's ha- that's happened in uh, I think more than a decade, and um, so I, I'm I'm excited. I mean, most of the games from the Summer Olympics in soccer are going to be on Telemundo, uh, and also uh, Universo, and of of course those Mexico games um, on the men's side. I'm sure will be on Telemundo, and the U.S. women's national team games uh, in Spanish language. I'm sure will be on uh, Telemundo also. In other news, uh, another big piece of news that came out this week was more details about Fubo TV's streaming of the Conmebol World Cup qualifiers. So this is going to happen. Fubo acquired the, the streaming rights to this in both English language and Spanish language. Uh, we have all of the details, which the, there's a lot of details, at worldsoccertalk.com. But effectively, uh, on the Spanish language side, um, they'll show every game. You'll need to get uh, Fubo Latino uh, as a subscription, and uh, I think they're offering like kind of a, a quarterly discount there, and that will include all of those games. Some of the uh, the actual talent that's available, uh, it's going to be Carlos Valderrama, uh, Juan Pablo Angel, Mark Gonzalez, uh, Lucas Barrios, uh, as well as much more. And then on the English language side, they will show every game too. They have a uh, special package called Conmebol and more. And that's available through Fubo TV. If you're a current subscriber, you should get that for free. Uh, if you're a new subscriber, you'll have to get Fubo TV and then add on the Conmebol and more for $6.99 a month. And then last but not least, uh, they will show some select games in English language on the Fubo Sports Network, uh, Fubo Sports Network. So that's another way to uh, catch some of those games. All right, Kartik, uh Next up is um, we don't have all the details as of recording this, but uh, we have found out that Paramount Plus has acquired more rights, and it's the Asian Football Confederation. Uh, we'll get more details, and I'm sure we'll publish those at WorldSoccerTalk.com by the time you listen to this podcast. But it, it it probably will be the AFC Champions League. Uh, a lot of the uh, the matches being played in the Asian region, uh, which would uh, be World Cup qualifiers, and maybe more too. We won't know all the details, but we will get those soon. Kartik, what about you? Uh, any interest in the um, 
the AFC news there? Yeah, uh, that's actually really exciting news. Uh, and this is something that I thought um, would be on DAZN in the United States, right? Yep. Uh, so this is, uh, this is actually very, very exciting news. Uh, it, was a- it was on uh, One World Sports at one time, which uh, uh, was uh, uh, owned by Cella Sports, who had deals with the AFC, did commercial deals with the AFC. And I think it's been on 11 Sports, it may be at some point yep. uh, in the United States. So I- I'm actually looking forward to this. And, and we'll get more details uh, very soon. So, Kartik, um Earlier in the podcast, we were talking about Monday, uh, you and I uh, kind of uh, hanging around St. Augustine and talking about uh, a day off from soccer. And lo and behold, I mean, uh, I think both you and I got some uh, text messages and uh, found out more details about a major deal, which is going to have major uh, implications on Major League Soccer. And uh, care to share the news and, and, and get your feedback on what this means? Yeah, so actually, we pull into our first stop the day, Monday morning, and I look at my phone, and I have a bunch of text messages from someone, uh, I'm not going to name the person, but someone that I think everybody who listens to this podcast knows, uh, and and it just went from there, right, the day, Chris, without yeah. you and I both getting bombarded by, by people about this news. Uh, so the... Um, the, the, the fundamental thing to understand is since the rights package for the 2006 uh, and 10 World Cups, uh, in addition to um, U.S. Uh, national team games, MLS's marketing arm, Soccer United Marketing, which was founded in the early 2000s, uh, has effectively managed those properties, the commercial side and the media side for U.S. soccer. In addition to having deals in the past with Barcelona and Chivas uh, and others. They still have the FMF, by the way, uh, that they, they, they control the rights uh, for the FMF in the U.S. Yeah. So Mexico. many of us for many years, Chris, had argued that this, um, this bundling of MLS rights with U.S. men's and women's national team rights uh, constituted a subsidy uh, from U.S. soccer to a men's professional league that they were not giving to the other men's professional leagues, the second divisions and the third divisions, nor to the women's professional league uh, at, at various points in time. Right, there have been three women's professional leagues that have uh, that have existed since Soccer United marketing uh, began. The most recent and the current league is obviously the NWSL, which is by far the most successful of those three leagues. So it has reached a boiling point, and it's something we go through every time, right? Yeah, what is the actual value of Major League Soccer because if you are a media company in order to get the rights for Major League Soccer you must also acquire the rights for the US or, or sorry yeah it's actually the reverse the way we were thinking about it US men's in order to get the rights for the US men's and women's national team you must also acquire the rights for Major League Soccer so what is Major League Soccer's actual market value a uh, long story short Chris and I, I have a, a, a few I've been in, involved uh in, in some of this lawsuit stuff uh, with U.S. soccer, so I'm going to I'm going to be very careful about what I say here. But um, the Soccer United marketing bundle with, of MLS and U.S. SF rights has become a major bone of contention in multiple lawsuits filed against the U.S. Soccer Federation uh, and an antitrust lawsuit filed against the U.S. Soccer Federation and Major League Soccer uh, in recent years. So. I think the de- what what now is happening is those rights are going to be debundled. USSF is going to bring their own rights back in house to the me- for the men's and women's national team. 
And Major League Soccer's rights are still managed by some, so they will be sold separately and individually by Soccer United Marketing, which is part of MLS. And uh, as we see, there are also other packages out there uh, which get you U.S. men's and uh, men's national team rights, uh, like the CBS thing you just went through with CONCACAF Nations League, that do not involve actually dealing with the Federation. So 2022, the contract is up. The current bundle, which Fox and ESPN have on the English-language side, Univision on the Spanish language side, which gives them USSF rights and MLS rights. So the next contract, MLS will be a separate package from the USSF. So you very easily, and this is this is where the analysis part comes in, Chris. I think there is a, a network in ESPN that I'm thinking has no interest in the U.S. men's and women's national team anymore that will bid on MLS, be able to do what they need to do uh, for MLS, and MLS can then go get another partner in addition to ESPN, someone like CBS or Turner that may not have much interest in the U.S. national team. And CBS has already got other U.S. national team games now uh, through uh, through CONCACAF, uh, of Nations League, and also away qualifiers. That allows Fox, in my opinion, to go – Secure the U.S. national team white rights exclusively in English on the men's and women's side and be able to use the U.S. national teams to build um, their product for the 2025 Women's World Cup and the 20, uh, sorry the 2023 Women's World Cup and the 2026 uh, Men's World Cup. Also, it also may allow Fox, if they've lost interest in MLS, to just move on. So I, I think a lot can come from this. Yeah, my, my take on this is actually very positive about the news. I'm actually um, pretty enthusiastic about it. Reason being is that it takes the training wheels off Major League Soccer, and it puts Major League Soccer as its own entity, as its own media rights, and they then they can go to market. Um, they've already got gone to market in terms of Fox, ESPN, and Univision uh, having an opportunity uh, to have an exclusive deal between now and July, end of July, uh, beginning of August, uh, to, to see if they're interested in renewing the deal, and if so, you mean what's available, etc. But giving them the first opportunities. But then August onwards, other media uh, companies out there have the opportunity to go ahead and have discussions with Major League Soccer. Um, they have already in the past, but some very serious discussions. And I, and I think, I think this is good news for Major League Soccer because it will establish. A, a number, whatever that number is, uh, for the, the worth, the value of those rights. And the timing of this is actually really good for Major League Soccer uh, because of the soccer streaming wars and you have everything from, I mean, it's a long list, right? Paramount Plus, you've got um, possibly an Amazon Prime that might be interested. You've got the uh, Discovery Plus, you've got... Uh, Fubo TV that's acquiring um, rights d- d- directly. You've got uh, e- e- Fanatis, you've got uh, DAZN, you've got, you mean, you go down the list ESPN Plus, of course, uh, Peacock. There's a lot of competition in the streaming space, and uh, they're looking for content. And live sports is a big deal. Live sports is one of those things that uh, you, the listener, myself, and Kartik, if, if we found out tomorrow that our favorite league was moving from television network X to streaming provider Y, I think all of us would go to streaming provider Y for the most part and, and subscribe to that service and sign up for it because it's our favorite league or it's our favorite team, whatever it may be. So I, th- I think this is actually good news for Major League Soccer. Uh, the concern, like you said, Kartik, is that uh, Fox may say, hey, 
actually we're really just interested in the U.S. women's team and and the, the men's team because of uh, uh, kind of the lead up to the World Cup and the lead up to the women's World Cup. Major League Soccer that Sunday night FS1. Every time we we show those games, uh, we get low ratings, and it just seems that uh, it's really difficult to get. Uh, much in the TV ratings numbers wise when we have it on Big Fox it works really well those types of things I think Fox could actually kind of rethink this one and think you know what maybe instead of going for Major League Soccer maybe we'll make a play for the Premier League or maybe we'll do something different or maybe we'll, we'll pull back and not do as much on the soccer side Fox is an unknown Fox is kind of one of those things it's really hard to tell what they're doing just because they are so uh kind of guarded about about what they say they don't really say too much um in more ways than one but yeah this is really interesting news and i think for us soccer too this is good news for them too because they i'm sure they feel that uh they can go out there on their own and sell the the men's rights and the women's rights and get uh maybe more money in-house rather than uh, splitting it with major league soccer and also sponsorship deals too. The sponsorship deals that uh, they feel that they probably can go ahead and sell uh, themselves rather than have Sock United Marketing do it. And then again, they just take a, 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 a portion of that. They feel they can probably go ahead, go ahead and do some big deals by themselves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a source of mine, and you can, you can you feel free to disagree with this, Chris, because I'm not sure I agree with it totally either. But a source of mine has said to me that U.S. soccer is convinced the commercial rights of the of the women's national team alone is worth more uh, than they get in their annual um, uh, their annual payment from Soccer United Marketing, and that in fact the women's national team. If uh, they uh, uh, are able to actually monetize that as an as a, as a property, which then began to open my mind that maybe they're going to split the men's and women's rights too and sell them as two separate packages. That's to be determined. U.S. Soccer has not even uh, created this commercial division yet. They're going to have to do that, or this media commercial division. They're going to have to uh, staff up to, to handle uh, bringing this stuff back in house. But that it, it actually may be the biggest driver. This person said to me of fandom. On the English language side in this country, even bigger than the Premier League. So, uh, you can feel free to disagree with that. I'm not sure I agree with that either. But U.S. there are people at U.S. Soccer who think the women's national team is more popular uh, potentially as a television property than even the Premier League is. So they think that they can really cash in on having those rights back in house. So, from a business point of view, this makes sense, Kartik. Um, do you think this tells us anything about maybe a potential? friction between Major League Soccer and U.S. Soccer? Um, be, it was there. Well, it was there. So yeah, because in, in, yeah, in, the, in the past, there's always been kind of I mean, people talking about U.S. Soccer and MLS and, and everyone kind of, well, a lot of people would say, well, they're, they're just the same. They're, 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 they're effectively a single entity, yeah. Right. right. But what, what um, do you think? So I was under the impression under Carlos Cordero uh, there was a growing friction. And Cordero, I, I, I went ahead and reported this on Twitter, and it was something that I had talked about even at the time toward the end of his tenure. Cordero was making noises internally, and a, and a lot of us picked up on this, and I had it from multiple sources, that 
he was very serious about doing just this. What 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 just happened? That his his plan was okay. He inherited the deal from Sunil Gulati, uh, and so he was going to continue to work with Don Garver, uh, Mark Abbott, and Major League Soccer because some was the partner of U.S. Soccer. But Cordero's. Um, intention was to break that partnership when the contract expired. He wasn't going to do it early. He wasn't going to break the contract, but he was just not going to renew the contract. My The impression I had, Chris, was that some of the unhappiness with Cordero and the repl- uh, was on MLS's end, and that with Cindy Parlocone and Will Wilson coming in, uh, Will Wilson, who has very close ties to MLS himself, uh, historical ties, that now that friction had been patched up. But it, pe- it appears, at least from what I'm gathering, that Wilson was very instrumental in making this decision. So that uh, indicates to me either, one, uh, there is some friction – Wilson is an MLS guy. Uh, we thought it, that that Wilson being the uh, executive director of U.S. Soccer would bring uh, Don Garber closer uh, to MLS, uh, to the management of U.S. Soccer than ever, because even though he had a close relationship, very close relationship with Sunil Gulati, Dan Flynn, there was a little bit of distance between Flynn and Garber and a little bit of distance between Flynn and MLS. But in fact, it looks like Wilson has made this decision probably properly as the executive director of an organization, looking at it financially from the perspective of the organization he now works for rather than the organization he previously worked for. So, uh, yeah, there might be some friction or it might just be hardcore cold reality for U.S. soccer that they have uh, they realize they have left lots of money on the table between the some deal, uh, some commercial deals, the some media deals where this money effectively goes into Major League Soccer, and then also their management deal with NWSL. Another another point of uh, unrelated or kind of related to this is NWSL is now on their own in terms of management mm-hmm. after U.S. soccer was involved in their management for years. So now you have uh, the training wheels off of all, all, all everybody in this country, to use your expression. MLS now has to go out and, and, and sell their own television deal without the training wheels on and the effective subsidy from USSF. NWSL has to manage their own league with the training wheels off without U.S soccer sitting in Chicago effectively managing their league and, and, and giving them a lot of cover and paying the salaries of a lot of their their, their superstar players, etc. So I think this is all good progress for U.S. soccer. How the short-term uh, fall, fallout comes, maybe in the short term uh, it hurts U.S. soccer and it helps MLS, or maybe it's vice versa, but I think long-term this is good for everybody. Yeah, I agree. One one more thing on this one, Kartik, is it's going it's going to be a little bit surreal though too, because uh, so this deal ends um, in twenty twenty two, but um, U.S. Soccer, oh, I'm sorry, Soccer United Marketing, which is MLS's uh, marketing arm, still has the rights to the Mexican Federation. So, yeah. so you've got a uh, you mean a North America, a U.S. and Canada league, basically an American league headquartered in in, in New York City. Uh, promoting the Mexican Federation and their team and their friendlies and selling tickets and doing everything around that while you That's have the, uh, the U.S. Federation uh, doing things by themselves. That's fine for me. I mean, I look, I, my objection to MLS promoting foreign players and foreign properties and now the percentage of American-born players in MLS is at an all-time low, all of that stuff. I, I've been uh, sounding the alarm about foreign players in MLS. It's getting like the Premier League where the teams are uh, – some team rosters or, or the, the core, the guys who actually play are 75 or 80 percent foreign. I don't care now. MLS could have all foreign players. They could have 11 foreign starters in every match, and I'd still embrace the league and say this is good. They're, they're, they're competing. 
because my issue was I felt like they were being subsidized by the U.S. Soccer Federation. So because they were being subsidized by the U.S. Soccer Federation through this TV deal and these commercial partnerships, they had an obligation to play American players, promote the U.S. men's and women's national teams, and promote American soccer in general. Now that that tie has been cut, I don't care if they promote Mexico or Indonesia or England or whoever. Now they're in the free market. They can make deals with whoever they want. If they continue to promote Mexico, that's great. That might be good for MLS. Uh, It's very good for them uh, commercially, and it might be good for the league as as a a soccer league as well. So now my attitude is completely changed. I don't care if MLS has no American players and doesn't promote Americans at all because the training wheels are off, as you said. Uh, They are now no longer a subsidized league that is is profiting off of the of the success of the U.S. women and the and uh, that U.S. men aren't successful. But, you know, the the money that U.S. men generate and the success of the U.S. women's national team, they are now on their own. So I don't have a problem with them promoting Mexico now. They can they can go to town on that as far as I'm concerned. All right, Carter, good, some good, uh, good, honest opinions there. All right, let's move on to uh, TV ratings and uh, a couple of numbers of note here. Uh, Fox's broadcast this past weekend of Seattle Sounders against Atlanta United on Sunday. Uh, that one on the English language, Big Fox Network, uh, drew 348,000 viewers, which is a, a pretty decent number. And then the Premier League for the uh, the end of the season, for the, for the entire 2020-21 season, uh, Premier League matches that were shown on NBC, the big NBC over the air, uh, throughout the season averaged uh, 879,000 viewers, which was up 2% from last season. However, NBC Sports's coverage of matches across the entire season, uh, you mean NBCSN, etc., uh, 414,000 viewers, and that is the lowest number since acquiring the rights to the league prior to the 2013-14 season. That number, however, does not include Peacock streaming. And we know that Peacock streaming, uh, we, 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 know, we know that there's been tons of subscribers signing up for that and watching games through there. Um, what we don't know is the viewing numbers from Peacock because Peacock's not sharing those numbers. But uh, on the TV side, though, Uh, The numbers, the lowest uh, since the 2013-14 season. Now, that's interesting timing, though, Kartik, because we've got uh, the Premier League deal uh, for the next three years, um, uh, beginning next year. Not next season, but next year um, will be either NBC or a different broadcaster. But going into those discussions, going into those that that bidding um, that does not put NBC in a good spot. Next up, yeah, go ahead, oh, go, yeah. ahead. go ahead, go so ahead. I, I was going to say, I, I I don't blame NBC for this. I think the the Premier League has 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 not very interesting uh, in, in terms of. Uh, so I know uh, the, the fashionable thing to say, oh, Bayern wins the uh, the German league every year, Juventus wins the Italian league every year, and they they barely made Champions League this year. Uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona win the Spanish league every year, and they don't, as we saw again this season. PSG wins the French league every year, even though they don't, as we saw again this season. But um, I think the Premier League has become more stale and predictable. That and you have teams winning titles with ninety eight points, hundred points, ninety seven points, or ninety nine points. I think it was for Liverpool last year. So I don't blame NBC. Seaford. I just think the league is going through a cycle where the top teams are really tough to are really, really good and the rest of the league isn't quite as good and so it's less competitive. And so that that affects television interest, especially when there's so much other soccer on. 
Listener Mailbag. Connor says, Hi guys, I've heard you discussing soccer trading cards and stickers recently and it's brought back my urge to collect. I moved to the US 10 years ago as a 12-year-old who collected football stickers but have not collected since moving here. I want to start collecting the Panini uh, Euro 2020 stickers as soon as possible before the tournament begins but I'm trying to find the best and cheapest way to get them in the U.S. since they seem to not be sold here in California. Is there a cheaper way to get them than eBay? And if not, what is a reasonable price to pay for a box of stickers? I also saw a hardcover album, which looked like a good option, but also seemed to be pretty expensive. Any advice on the most affordable options would be appreciated. Okay, so Connor, uh, thank you for writing. I... um went ahead and ordered the hardcover album from the UK or sorry, from Germany. It took about two weeks to get to me, but I got it. Um, in terms of buying boxes and packs, what I ended up doing is uh, ordering a, well, I ordered two starter kits as it turns out. And one of the starter kits did come from within the U S but I think it was a retailer who had bought it from England and then was selling it in the U S the other starter pack came from uh, Germany, as I said, with the hardcover album. And then I bought a box, which came from England, uh, and then I've done some individual buying of stickers from someone on eBay uh, that was in Orpington, in Kent. Uh, in, that's actually inside uh, London now, Greater London. And then um, also did a uh, uh, did a couple trades with people here in South Florida who are also collecting based on getting them from Europe. Uh, what's making this really frustrating to me, uh, Connor, is that in 20, 2008 – as, as I showed Chris this week when I went up to uh, to see him, I completed a whole album based on buying stickers locally in South Florida. Euro, the Euro album and the Euro stickers. 2012, same thing, needed a little little help, including from you, Chris, but uh, bought all my stickers locally. Uh, I did not have to send away for a box, did not have to send away for anything, uh, and got the album locally. 2016, uh, same thing. Now in 2020, suddenly, as the Euros are probably more popular in the U.S. than ever, and uh, we, we talked a little bit about ESPN, they're going to go all out for it, uh, even more than previous tournaments, suddenly the album's not available here. So unfortunately, eBay is probably your best bet. I know, Chris, you might have a, a solution that's a little cheaper than eBay, which is a, a Spanish-based site, similar to eBay. Yeah, well, actually, actually uh, I'm in the process of uh, – I've ordered some of the starter packs, uh, starter sets uh, from the U.K., they're being shipped to uh, myself here in Florida. So what I'll do is once I get those, I'll uh, add those to our worldsoccertalk.com merchandise store, and those will be cheaper than the ones on eBay. So that'll be a way for uh, anyone who's interested. You can go ahead and order those through online and get them shipped right to your house. And, um, yeah, unfortunately, they're not available mass commercially, um, but we have actually, when Kartik was in town this past weekend, uh, Kartik went ahead and put together a video uh, of that collection to give you an idea of what it looks like, which it looks fantastic. So we'll be releasing uh, that video in the next week. And then also Kartik did one on the, the Bundesliga. So uh, he has uh, three seasons complete. And uh, we put a video together showing, highlighting kind of th those stickers and showing you what they look like in terms of, you mean Gio Reyna and uh, Tyler Adams, et cetera, et cetera. So, so that's going to be out on Friday on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash World Soccer Talk. And then, then there's more information 
on our website at worldsoccertalk.com. There's an article, actually a series of articles about uh, learning more about trading uh, soccer cards and stickers and getting into that, collect, collecting that. Um, so tons of information there. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us uh, or post in the comments section on the website, and we'll be sure to, to get to you there. All right, next up, David says, Guys, I'm a big fan of the show, and thanks for the great work. I can see the prospect for MLS of regular, predictable viewing windows for games on TBS or TNT combined with the out-of-market streaming package going to Discovery Plus as viable, depending on the bid that Warner Media comes up with. That could be part of a split package with Fox that would have MLS Cup and other prime games on the Fox Broadcast Network combined, um, if possible, with a regular game window on FS1. But if MLS is the only soccer property Warner has, if the multicast option you guys talk about uh, isn't there, and there's no chance for fans of other leagues and the sports broadly to stumble into MLS on those cable and streaming platforms, how well would that work for the league? To what extent does it benefit by being seen on air and online with ESPN, who has other top leagues and extensive soccer inventory now? Is this multicast option any more important for MLS than any other properties? If the scenario I mentioned above with MLS, uh, which is regular game windows and TBS, TB, uh, TNT combined with the out-of-market streaming package on Discovery Plus happens with the Premier League, how would that change the analysis for Major League Soccer? Does it make that scenario more attractive for them? So some good questions there from David. I guess that that's a good point, though, because Major League Soccer has a younger audience and streaming would be a ideal avenue for, for those fans to watch games. They're already watching a lot of games on streaming already. Um, but television is, is important, especially when you have the World Cup in 2026 coming here. Uh, I think you really still need that split. You still need to have those games on linear uh, so that people can stumble across them and then uh, watch them on streaming. I'm not so hot on the, the whole idea of TBS or TNT getting those games, but um, what do you think about ESPN, though, Kartik? Do you see ESPN under this uh, split between the U.S. soccer and MLS and those rights being split? Do you see ESPN more interested in the MLS side or in the um, the, uh, the U.S. national teams? MLS side? I, I don't think they're interested in the U.S. national teams at all. I, I could be wrong about that, but I, I think that this gives them an opportunity to kind of cut that uh, that, that U.S national team obligation to show matches to cover the national team and, and to find broadcast windows which are very difficult to find uh, for the, for them, whereas they're not difficult to find for Fox. Uh, this is, uh, uh, I think, something that will be good for MLS also because ESPN will maybe even be a more invested partner uh, in it. And, and I expect ESPN to renew with MLS. The question is, does Fox renew or is it someone like Turner or CBS instead, as, as we're talking about, uh, as David has uh, laid out? I think uh, uh, on the multicast option, uh, David, I think that that's really uh, a compelling thing uh, about ESPN Plus, and that would be really good for MLS. Uh, but let's see. I don't. I, I don't think that that's something that they'll base their decision on. Right? I think it's going to be purely based on money and availability of windows. Next up is Adam Baker Fritz, and he says, When NBC let it be known that they were shutting down NBCSN at the end of the year, propping up USA Network was one of the reasons they mentioned for it. 
The talk was them, uh, was of them competing with Turner's TBS TNT in addition to supporting Peacock. So USA Channel with 6 million more subs than NBCSN is definitely a factor for NBC's continued sports presence. The narrative that they lost the NHL is false. The NHL just had their lowest viewing, um, lowest viewed regular season in 10 years. Letting your rivals overpay for a property you no longer want is playing chess. EPL is driving Peacock subs and gives USA a property that will get more viewers than hockey. Throw in the WWE and NASCAR, and USA has itself a sports presence. The other big key, I believe, on EPL rights is over the air, like you mentioned. Fox Fox Sports cannot give that with their football college football commitments. CBS is the only real challenger in that regard. So it's down to CBS or NBC. The Premier League doesn't want to share CBS with Serie A. If NBC wants the rights, and I believe they do, they will keep them. Next up, Carl says, Wall Street is only paying attention to the streaming services on these companies. They largely have stopped caring about subscribers for basic cable channels, except for ESPN. If NBC keeps the rights, it will be to drive Peacock subscriptions, not slowing the bleed of USA Network. While I'm sure Premier League would like over-the-air TV games, previous reporting from Chris uh, has indicated they're looking for the biggest check, not the most over-the-air coverage. The most interesting questions about the Premier League rights to me are, number one, how many years will the Premier League be interested in a deal for? They typically operate on three-year deals, but NBC's most recent extension was five years, and ESPN's La Liga and Bundesliga deals were eight years and five years, respectively. I think ESPN's interest will be related to the Premier League's interest in a long-term contract, as the as the La Liga deals terms was were much closer to the U.S. properties, which are typically closer to ten years than three. Question number two: How significant of a hindrance is the lack of Spanish infrastructure? to a CBS sports bid. I don't think Premier League rights would drive Spanish language subscriptions. Uh, Still a very significant piece of the US Premier League audience to Paramount+. Plus. If the Premier League and Italian soccer are the only Spanish content on the platform, English language uh, rights would be also be limited to uh, for Paramount subscribers as it would open up Spanish rights to another player like Univision which has likely stopped a lot of people from getting Paramount Plus for the Champions League. Third and finally, could Disney include US rights as part of a large multi-country bid? As ESPN goes global with the launch of streaming services like Disney Plus and Star Plus, the Premier League's global popularity could be a worthwhile loss leader for a company eager to quickly establish must-have streaming services in the US, Latin America, India, and Australia, New Zealand. Kartik, we mentioned before about Major League Soccer, how it's uh, perfectly timed for the the soccer streaming wars. Uh, some good thoughts here, and in many ways, the Premier League is also uh, has found the perfect timing for this. Yeah, so I I, I, I think the point is well taken. Also. Uh, that uh, Carl is making about uh, CBS lack of Spanish language infrastructure that could be uh, that could be a deal 
breaker with the Premier League. I, I don't think Spanish language uh, uh, content is a driver of subscriptions, so CBS has no uh, no need to to, to do that uh, to get that, especially considering they got the Champions League rights just for, on the English language side. But uh, I think it's also very very true that the Premier League has had some Spanish language content now in this country going back. At least ten years, at least to two thousand nine in ESPN Deportes. I want to say uh, uh, Fox Sports Deportes too. So um, I think it'll be very, very difficult for uh, for CBS uh, to to uh, without some sort of Spanish language uh, service to grab these rights. But who knows? Maybe they'll launch one. Maybe uh, they'll just embed Spanish language feeds within uh, Paramount Plus. Well, that's the thing about ESPN Plus, which is it's so easy to use. And you know, whenever you pull up a game, it asks you right away, do you want the Spanish language or the English language stream of the ESPN Plus? So that, that definitely is pretty powerful, uh, the way that they have it set up. Yeah, Paramount Plus having no Spanish language content at all right now. They have the Spanish language uh, broadcast rights to Serie A as well as the English language. But the question mark remains whether or not um, Paramount Plus will actually... Uh, show those games in Spanish, or if they, uh, whether maybe they'll sublicense those to more of a Spanish lang- language uh, streaming pr- provider, such as a, a Fanatis or, or, or something else. Next up, Hans says live sports events are mega expensive, and the companies are in the business to make profits for their shareholders. This was not helped by the pandemic. I can agree with Kartik that maybe NBC feels it's uh, time to get out of live sports and stay with special events like the Olympics or the World Cup, as the Premier League may not be the driving force for subscriber interest in the U.S. as they may hope for. They have the data. They also know that it's not an ideal situation for bidding because of the deals recently closed with other European leagues for substantial fees. And there are now a few players in the bidding war. NBC and their Peacock rollout was not as good as it could have been. Neither was the rollout by the other major players in this bid for the rights. Personally, I only care for whoever gets the rights. Put it on a decent streaming platform with intuitive navigation and have a crack team of analysts and studio personnel. For me, again, NBC is coming short on that. Uh, Get some recognized and knowledgeable individuals, preferably a studio in Europe. The two Robbies, Tim Howard and even Rebecca, don't cut it for me when comparing them to ESPN Plus or Paramount Plus. But I can live with that as long as the quality and implementation on the streaming platform matches that of ESPN Plus. Next up, Adolfo says, My comments on Premier League TV rights is how much would ESPN need to offer for the rights? The Premier League must be looking at what ESPN paid for La Liga and just adding more zeros to any offer that ESPN or any other media company will come up with. Do any of these media companies see any profit on these TV deals? I cannot, I cannot imagine any media company, company making money on these soccer deals as even uh, American sports are money losers. Yeah, and I think, I think a lot of it, too, is that, um, yes, they would like to be profitable, but they know that it is right now a feeding frenzy, trying to get as many subscribers... Uh, to your streaming service so that you will continue to be viable and that you have a large subscriber base and that you can go ahead and uh, maybe they'll be subscriber for many months or many years. But if you don't do anything, you're likely to lose out. And we've seen this with Fox. Uh, and and the, I mean, the really the only streaming service that Fox has is Tubi. 
of of note. That that's and even Tubi is not a uh, much of a competitor against a um, a Peacock or a Paramount Plus, um, you know, or Netflix or those types of other streaming services. So it's really important that like Fox especially uh, gets serious about trying to acquire sports rights and have them available on Tubi and have them available that way uh, because they're not doing it right now. Fetchin says, uh, good podcast. I think that uh, Discovery Plus and HBO Max will maybe go after the Premier League since I think Discovery would like sports on their service. ESPN Plus wouldn't go after the Premier League since they have the Bundesliga and La Liga. CBS, they have Serie A and I think if they go after the Premier League, they will put less time in Serie A. And I think that's one of the reasons why Serie A and ESPN rights didn't renew. CBS also wants to get the A-League to grow subscriptions in Australia. Now you mentioned sports leaving NBC. Now they have lost uh, NHL and maybe IndyCar. NBC did say they would like to retain the rights to the Premier League. And for them to do that, they had to lose the rights to one of the other sports. And that's the NHL and maybe IndyCar. NASCAR, it all depends if they are willing to adapt to streaming because I know they'd want, they would want more money for TV rights and their ratings are not as high as before. Fox's weakness is that they don't have a paid subscription service for sports and programming. NBC is conservative when it comes to obtaining sports rights since they did not want to pay over $200 million for NHL for less games. ESPN and CBS are the two biggest sports programs right now. USA Network is not a well-known channel. It's only known for the WWE, but it is in over 80 million homes. I don't see CBS and ESPN Plus bid, bid at least for not a lot of money. Uh, I think that CBS will get the MLS rights. Also, real quickly on USA, uh, it's not a well-known network among sports fans, obviously, of this vintage. Uh, people our age, Chris, remember lots of sports being on USA Network, including the Masters' first two rounds and uh, soccer in the past, NASL and uh, MISL. I even remember a couple of years NBA was on uh, USA, believe it or not, in the 80s. Um, but I, my concern about all of this is that I am not convinced the Premier League will actually get better ratings than whatever USA is showing now. On, uh, on Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings. So I'm not sure it's the option everyone thinks it is for, um, for the Premier League, which makes things dicey for, for NBC. I mean, does NBC really want to invest a, a, a billion dollars maybe long term if it's a six-year deal again on a, on a property that's uh, not growing and where it's not going to enhance their core networks on linear television. So the only incentive I can see for NBC keeping the Premier League rights would be if it drives signups to Peacock, which yep. very clearly it does. Uh, so uh, that's the premise under which NBC will try and keep the rights is if if Peacock is important prior prior to eh, if Peacock signups are the priority for them in terms of investment in sports dollars. If it's not, then I don't think they uh, they really can afford to uh, keep the mm-hmm. Premier League. Yeah, and and that's the big question: is Peacock is the future of Peacock? Uh, is NBC Universal serious about Peacock? Are they planning on investing? You mean hundreds of millions of dollars into the billions of dollars into Peacock? Are they are they confident that Peacock will be a success, and are they willing to actually spend that money to make it so? Because right now, I mean, Peacock. This past weekend, I watched the uh, Eurovision Song Contest, which was actually pretty entertaining um but for the most part peacock i mean other than the office and the premier league 
um, and some rare programs now and again. It doesn't have a lot of good content on there, and they are adding original programming. But in order to grow Peacock, I mean, if they had all of the, the Premier League games, every single one of them, under a new deal that was a, a three-year deal or a six-year deal, uh, that would drive more subscriptions for sure. But at the same time, then though too, I think the Premier League still wants to have games over the air, so they're still relevant and viable. Um, but they need the money too. So it, it's an interesting crossroads that both the Premier League is at and NBC. Uh, and NBC seems to be wanting to continue to invest in Peacock, but we will see in the next probably two to three months um, how serious they are. Greg says, one thing I, need, I think that needs discussing BN's presentation of Liga and La Liga matches not featuring Real Madrid or Barcelona. It's slapdash for the recent Lille against uh, Senetian match. They interrupted the match every 30 to 45 seconds, running the uh, Liga bumper reel and going to commercials. Then for the last minute or so before the match started, they ran both the Spanish audio and English audio. I, li- I like the French league. There are, in, there are entertaining teams, and this year it was a great title race. Obviously, La Liga is, is no longer on BN, and I really hope that Ligue 1 gets a better U.S. presenter than BN. Well, the bad news there, first of all, is that... Uh, well, the bad news for Greg is that BN Sports has the French Ligue 1 rights until the end of the 2023-24 season. Uh, so you've got three more years of that. Uh, now, without La Liga... That gives BN Sports the opportunity to have the French League as its prime real estate, as its its flagship soccer league, unless it acquires some other leagues out there. Uh, whether or not they're, they can do that and, and actually do a good job of, of that, we will have to wait and see. And uh, what about the French League, Kartik? What, what do you think the French League's thinking um, uh, with the current situation with, uh, with BN Sports losing La Liga? Are they, are, they, are they happy or, or do you think they're a little bit, uh, I don't know, a little bit worried? They, they, have to, they have to clear up their own domestic TV situation first, right? And they have, cl- they have multiple clubs that are on the brink because of uh, a loss of TV money. So if BN keeps paying them, I think they're just going to be happy to stay on BN in the U.S. because they, they're serious cash flow problems on their media side. Um, we haven't really gotten into the media pro uh, uh what happened with that on this show but just uh, for real real quickly the, the company that had bought the, the, the domestic TV rights in France collapsed and uh, in, in the wake of COVID and uh, they have not nobody who made a bid to replace them uh, Dizone uh, Discovery Plus or uh, Amazon Prime those were the three main bidders met the price that Ligon was looking for so uh, there's all kinds of problems also in the wake of that, VN remains a domestic partner of uh, Liga uh, at this point. So I don't think they'll get off of uh, uh, off of BN here. Although a year from now, if the situation is settled in uh, in, in domestically, I think they're going to have to look to move to one of the main streaming services. Uh, again, I think ESPN Plus or CBS or Paramount Plus would be the main contenders. Yeah, it's strange too because um, one player could make the difference if if uh, Messi decides to join PSG then all of a sudden being sports is is the you mean not not the number one game in town but it, it is a massive uh, coup for being sports um, 
if they don't get messy and it c- continues as is with PSG, a really entertaining team, as well as Lille and other teams, Lyon, etc., uh, it's a good league. But my concern is, is that the French league would be worried about being sports losing even more subscribers, uh, not having La Liga, and that the number of viewers on that channel will decrease even more. And that uh, even though Ligue 1 would be very visible on being sports, um, if no one has been sports to watch the, th- those games on, then it makes Ligue 1 um, more ins- uh, insignificant in terms of uh, viewership. Tom Three says, "I enjoy your podcast. I have to tell you, I have to tell you, I'm more than a little irritated that it seems ESPN is shoving Ray Hudson and Phil Shane to the side for La Liga." I have to tell you that that annoys me a lot. That was part of the treat of watching that league. It takes quite a bit away from it not to have them call in the games. I'm a little surprised that ESPN is that tone deaf. The technology exists for them to call the games from South Florida like they currently do. Now, I would, without knowing Kartik, but I would say that um, if ESPN wants to hire Ray Hudson and Phil Shane to call La Liga games then it'll happen. Now, whether or not uh, ESPN decides to do that, uh, it's up to them. But if they wanted to do it, I'm sure it could be done pretty easily. So uh, (laughs) without saying anything more. So I'm sure the possibility is very, very possible. (laughs) But again, it it depends because ESPN has a lot of their own talent, right? There's there's been talents behind the scenes there that are probably thinking, okay, great. Finally, I get a chance to call uh, some big games in La Liga. I've been working here at ESPN for many years. I have the talent. Let's make it happen. Um, Ray Hudson, I think, in many ways, would drive subscriptions to ESPN+. Plus. It would get people to subscribe that that maybe were on the fence. Same with Phil Shane, too. And I think the combination of those two doing games for ESPN Plus makes a lot of sense. Again, sometimes it's down to money and budgets and whether ESPN Plus uh, wants to do it. I hope they do. Daniel says, Kartik, we need to talk because you're confusing me so much. What teams do you support and what teams do you like? I need a full disclosure because you say you like City but hate what they have done and then don't watch them and dude make up your mind you're allowed to switch teams because of the European Super League I did that with Arsenal and Barcelona they will never earn my trust back ever again I always had a soft spot for Monaco so I I support them now Um, and then in recent years the French League has had more different winners than any other top European league so Kartik, <laughs> what teams do you support and what teams do you like? Actually, that's not true. The Premier League has had uh, three different winners in the same period that the that Liga has had three different winners. So uh, they're the same, actually. They, they, but that, that Liga has had as as many win, as many different winners as any other top league in Europe. But they're tied with the Premier League for that. Uh, I've been a Manchester City supporter most. of most of my life, I've even written a book about the club. I uh, uh, was uh, have gone through three relegations with the club. I've gone through three promotions with the club. So it's a long-standing thing. I have not been uh, feeling warm and fuzzy about them because of the front runners that the club has attracted the last few years, particularly American fans, mostly American fans. So that's why I've been so jaded because you can't say anything remotely critical of Pep Guardiola. You cannot say anything remotely critical of the owners who are not good guys. 
right? I'm South Asian, so I have a particular aversion to to Abu Dhabi. Um, so I've I'm not happy with Manchester City. At the same time, I have a lifetime of supporting the club. I have uh, incredible long-term experiences and relationships with with long-term supporters of the club in the UK, real supporters, not people who just discovered them because they were winning titles recently and, and said, hey, I'm going to go wear, buy some blue uh, blue scarves and blue shirts and, and wear them. Or people who are influenced by uh, by social media campaigns, etc., to support Manchester City. So that's where I am, actually, uh, uh, Daniel. I'm a long-term Manchester City supporter. I've been a supporter long before these people owned the club. Uh, however, the Super League is a deal-breaker. So I I can't give up my support emotionally for the fans in the UK, the people who have been part of a people's club in Manchester, you know, a very local club that had local support when the other club, the, the closest club to them, actually the closest club was Stockport, but the second closest club to them was Manchester United, which had become this global brand. So I can't give that up. At the same time, I don't feel warm and fuzzy about the owners. I don't want anything to do with most of their U.S. supporters. And therefore, I, I've talked about this in the last few weeks on, on Twitter and on uh, on websites that I, I uh, have always had a soft spot for Queens Park Rangers. So I am also going to be supporting them. And uh, I hope Manchester City uh, wins when they play the top six teams, when they play Arsenal. I don't want Arsenal and Chelsea winning trophies, OK, particularly those two clubs. Um, I'm less I have less aversion to Liverpool and Manchester United and Tottenham because I don't of want your- Arsenal and Chelsea. Chelsea winning anything. Well, because, so because of, of that, because of the European Super Manchester League, though, right? Oh, go ahead. D- just because of the European Super League, right? Not because of you, yeah, 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 right. Yeah, so I have to keep, I keep, I have to keep hoping Manchester City wins titles because if they don't win trophies, Chelsea and Arsenal are going to win all the trophies, or, or Manchester United or Liverpool. Um, well, uh, and so that's where I am. I hope Manchester City keeps winning titles unless Leicester City's going to win, unless Norwich is going to win, unless West Ham's going to win. If West Ham plays Manchester City and there's a trophy on the line, I'll probably root for West Ham. So that's where I am now. Yeah, it is difficult, though, Conte. And it's because of the Super League, yes. Right. But but, but it is difficult, though, too, because um, you support the club, right? And, and, and the club, under the current owners, have made some bad decisions. They've made some good decisions as far as investing in the community around... Uh, uh, Manchester in terms of you mean development of of uh, infrastructure etc. But at some point in the future, those owners probably will leave or will sell, and it'll go on to maybe be, go back to an owner from the city, or maybe it'll go on to who knows who knows who. But but I guess I guess that that's the challenge sometimes is that um, I mean even for my club Swansea City, they're owned by U.S. investors. Uh, they've made some really poor decisions. They've made some really good decisions. Um, and they will not be there long term for decades. I know. I know that they'll be gone, and then there'll be new owners coming in. Especially if, get, if they get promoted to the Premier League, they probably chances are they, they'll try to sell and cash out. But I still support the club, and, and I guess in some ways too. I think I think you still support the club. It's yeah. just that you want it to. to you mean you're definitely upset, extremely upset about the, the European Super League, uh, their moves there, but. Um, but you also, I think, at the heart of it too, I think you want to see competitive football. You want it to see, Correct. you know, I mean, kind of um, teams having an opportunity at all levels to, you mean, to, to beat the big ones. Yeah, exactly. So I think the the thing that I don't like is Manchester City's American supporters that have uh, kind of. Uh, 
skewed the conversation are all about anti-competitive things. They want Manchester City to win every game. They want the team that spends the most money to win. They want. They don't believe uh, money should go down the pyramid to other clubs uh, that, that 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 might be struggling. They're very much front runners, and they're very much like American closed league sports fans. I mean, quite frankly, so it just reinforces why this Super League happened because there are people football now. Uh, European football has attracted fans from outside their local areas that have these very different, this very different value system. And I, I know, Chris, you and I have disagreed about this in the past because you, you've thought in so many ways the game being so accessible to Americans uh, has been a good thing and maybe bringing regular season games to the U.S. I'm concerned. I've always been concerned, even as an American, that uh, the things that attracted me to football and attracted me to Manchester City were that they were very different than how things were done in this country. So that's the ultimate thing. It's a college. I still support the club and the people at the club, the fans, the players, but I I don't support the ownership, but it, it's it's more complicated than that. There are a lot of supporters yep. that are not based in Manchester that I don't support and don't want to make common cause with because they're well, just they're, they're horrible. Well, and the, so the American supporters are really a big part of this for me yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, and, and and it could be too not, not not just American supporters, but there might be in other countries too. I mean, it's just that we happen to live in the United States, and we're on. I mean, you and I are on social, oh, yeah, social yeah, media. Yeah. The supporters, I've even noticed it among Manchester United supporters. Manchester United supporters from Asia are terrible, right. in my opinion. Whereas Manchester United supporters from uh, England or or ones that are from actually like Salford and and, and Greater Manchester are, are, are fantastic. Yeah. Um, the other, so well, the other yeah. thing about the other thing about this so too is like a lot of those fans that there are the front row that are you mean talking about city being the biggest one of the biggest clubs in the world and just having this kind of uh, false impression of the team and just that you mean kind of maybe a warped sense of reality compared to uh, your own or uh, other city supporters that have been city fans for, for decades the reality is that probably a lot of those front runners in a few years from now will no longer be city fans they'll probably move on and go to some other club or will get into some other sport and then yeah they won't even be soccer fans yeah, exactly. right they're right exactly all right, let's move on. Two more to go. Mike says, regarding the state of European League football, I went through a similar dis- depression as Kartik a few years ago. My solution? South American football. In South America, the game is not only beautiful, but very unpredictable as well. In addition, I can still follow a Barcelona, a Liverpool, and an Arsenal there. Moving on and sort of, rela- sort of related, I was wondering if any of the league's if any league's competitions will be targeted by being sports now that they've lost La Liga, I expect them to go full in on the French league. But what else do you suppose they'll do to fill the hole left by the loss of La Liga? And um, what I've what I've heard, and actually I interviewed uh, Being Sports about it about two weeks ago and asked them, so where do we go from here? And um, they were talking about looking at other sports. So I think that's that's what they're looking at. They're looking at um, other rights that are available and probably low cost. And they're looking at I mean, they have the European Basketball League. They will probably look at some other sports and looking for ones that probably. I, th- I think at this point, for the most part, I think soccer is almost priced out for them. That they're not they're not going to bid on any major deals. Maybe they'll try to pick up the Portuguese rights from Gold TV, perhaps. But I do not see being sports uh, going in and, and uh, launching any serious bids on any major leagues uh, in soccer. But I, I do see them trying to pick up some other sports. So, yes, they'll have the French League. And, yes, they'll have some European basketball as well as maybe, I don't know, 
some motocross or, or something else, some other sports. But um, yeah, what about you, Carter? Do you see any, any anything in their future? Perhaps I'm not thinking of. No, I think uh, motorsports are, are, are really a good focus for them. They've done uh, motorcycle racing in the past. They've done bike. They, they could acquire more bicycle racing. That's not actually a motorsport, but more bicycle racing, and then uh, various pieces of. Uh, of auto racing packages by the way another example of espn's mastery of this thing is the the way that they popularize formula one in the u.s i i for years uh beyond and i'm not a, a auto racing fan but beyond my frustration about my our sport football soccer not breaking through into the mainstream was my uh my curiosity as to why Formula One never broke into the mainstream of this country, and all it seemed to all it seemed to take is for the rights to go from NBC to ESPN for it to happen um, this time. So yeah, I think that's where VN will go. I don't think there's much more uh, for them to acquire here now. The the African. What's interesting is the number of African uh, matches they're now showing. Chris, I wonder if there is some sort of audience. That might develop for that uh, that continent's football in this country uh, over the next ten years or so. Where being, if they stay in the U.S. market, has a uh, leg up. Uh, but yeah. other than that, I don't know <laughs> football. I, I, the Asian thing, uh, it's actually maybe kind of disappointing from a being perspective that that's going to uh, to CBS because that might have been something which they could have used and found a little bit of a niche audience for. But um, and things like the, uh, the Indian Super League, that's on uh, uh, on ESPN Plus. That would right. be actually a, a nice one for BN because uh, there are some recognizable names in that league. But uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think they're probably just going to look to other sports at this point. Yeah, with with BN Sports. Um, I've watched the African uh, Cup of Nations and uh, the CAF Champions League and the the CAF Super Cup, and I, I enjoy watching them. But there, there, there is no audience there, <clears throat> and, and yes, there's an opportunity to grow that audience, but um, I don't see that happening. Even even though the football actually is pretty good and it's uh, uh, the coverage is, is actually really honest and authentic, I, I enjoy watching it. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think the audience is here to make to make that uh, a success for being sports. Sadly. All right. Last up, last but not least, Nick says, after all the Super League drama, Chelsea and Liverpool make the Champions League at Leicester's expense. Juventus and AC Milan at Napoli's expense. The only positive is Lille winning the title, which is a flash in the pan and not a sustainable competition for PSG in France. Let's face it, football is dead for all but the dozen or so biggest clubs. I agree with Kartik, it is utterly depressing. And Kartik, let me let me just chime in real quick. Lille wins the championship in, in France, a huge achievement. And then what happens uh, 24 to 48 hours after they win it? Kartik is, is out. The and coach, uh, the team... Right? Yeah, the coach, right, and the and the uh, and the team is being broken up, and uh, actually, one positive thing about Lille being broken up is it might be Leicester that benefits. It looks like Leicester's in for one, maybe two of those stars that are going to be sold off. Yeah, but how's that? Uh, so how's, that the, how's that a positive though? <laughs> no, no, it's a positive. They go to Leicester, not to Man United. Oh, okay, Man City. okay, all right, yeah, I got yeah, you. Yeah, I got you. right. I mean, because again, I'm heartbroken about Leicester. I mean, and there are all these big club fans who on Twitter are mocking me, saying, "Oh, why don't you just become a Leicester fan?" 
since obviously you like them. No, I mean, if it were West Ham in that position or Norwich or, or uh, Tranmere Rovers in that position, I would have been cheering them on because we want to break this big club monopoly. And then obviously Inter is not a small club, but they hadn't won it in a long time. They hadn't won a trophy since, uh, since 2010. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, within days of their uh, title triumph, that club is being broken up. Antonio Conte is out. Um, and uh, we know Vidal will not be back. Sanchez will not be back. Lukaku probably won't be back either. So uh, that's uh, utterly depressing. So Juventus got in the last day. Uh, Chris knows this. On my way to uh, Chris's house, might as well let the listeners know this. I was so desperate for Juventus to miss the Champions League. I pulled off uh, for the end of that Napoli game and watched it on my iPhone sitting in the parking lot of the gas station. About an hour south of you, uh, and uh, I didn't see anything from Napoli and Gattuso until the, the the third minute, second and third minute of stoppage time. So, um, yeah, that was utterly depressing that Juventus found their way into Champions League. Also, I have to agree with that. I think I think we're living in a multicast world, though, Kartik, because the, the, there are so many choices available, and myself definitely are not. I'm, I'm cherry picking the soccer I watch, so. Um, this past Sunday, I missed the French title game, but all weekend long, I mean, the, the Spanish title race on the Saturday, I've got like two, two or three games on, on TV at the same time. And then I've got another monitor with like probably another one or two games on. And I'm cherry picking what I'm seeing. And I, and I think that's part of the thing with NBC is that they're um, on NBC over the air. I mean, 2% growth from last year. So basically flat. And then uh, a drop in the number of viewers uh, on NBCSN and related broadcast for for the average viewership. And I think part of it is probably COVID as far as the sheer number of games being shown uh, in, in separate match windows. And then kind of, I mean, not having fans in the stadium definitely turned off some of the viewers. Um, and, and there's a whole host of reasons. But I, I think the number one reason is competition is there's far more competition today than there has ever been for, the, for NBC in the Premier League. And we have more choices. And, you know, you know what I mean? If, if we're watching Fulham against Newcastle and not much is happening in that game, or you mean, it's so easy to switch now to the Bundesliga, to La Liga, you name it, whatever league it is in the world, Major League Soccer. Um, yeah. So I'm finding, personally, I'm, I'm cherry-picking. I'm, I'm jumping from game to game to game because I have so many games available to me and I'm enjoying soccer, you mean, moments of games and not so much maybe following one league and that's it, which, which is a big difference in, in my viewing habits. All right, listeners, we want you to have your say. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. So don't forget, Friday, we've got a a new video at uh, youtube.com slash worldsoccertalk, which is Kartik showing you the Bundesliga sticker collections, which is absolutely fantastic um, then on Sunday on that YouTube channel we will have a opening of uh, UEFA Champions League uh, from Tops, their museum collection which is uh, a lot of rare autograph cards so we'll be doing a uh, an opening of that box on Sunday uh, again on our YouTube channel and then there's a ton of soccer to look forward to this weekend and then next week we're getting into international games, we've got the CONCACAF Champions League 
we've got some friendlies next week, and then before you know it, it's going to be Copa America and the Euros, and then Gold Cup, and then the Olympics, and then we're back at it again with a new European season. So, Kartik, before we go, um, any last words uh, to our listeners, and what should they do? Enjoy your football. And listeners, if you want to listen to the uh, the rest of that broadcast of that CBS Sports uh, press conference, it's about five minutes long, but it's actually really interesting with Jamie Carragher, Micah Richards, uh, and Peter Schmeichel. Uh, here it goes. Um, we'll go next to uh, uh, Christopher Harris. Christopher, if you can unmute Ness. Sure. Yes, uh, the question I have is for uh, Jamie, Peter, and Micah. So, so both Kate and Roberto have a lot of uh, experience working with American broadcasters, whether it's ESPN, Fox, or Turner. But Jamie, Peter, and Micah, what's it like working with an American broadcaster, and, and what are some of the differences um, in regards to working traditionally with, it, with a British broadcaster? Does, it, does the American broadcaster give you more freedom? Want me to go first? Sure. Oh, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll you, go first. you are the youngest of anyone. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go first. I, I think working with CBS has just been a breath of fresh air. I absolutely <laughs> love it from all the guys who I'm working with here, Kate, Roberto, Jamie, Peter, Alex, who couldn't make it today. We can just be ourselves. It helps that you've got credibility, of course. Jamie has won it, and, and Peter has won it. Roberto has, you know, managing for the one, one team in the world. So we've got great credibility there, but we can all be ourselves. I know sometimes in England, we can't... I'm not going to say mess around, because we don't mess around. It's uh, it's a chemistry in, in CBS. You know, Pete has allowed us to, to be ourselves as long as we get the football side correct. So when, when people ask me, you know, what you're doing or what we're working on American TV, what's it like? I said, it's the best because I can be my my the, the best version of me and I'm allowed to, to do that. So so it's just it's just brilliant. I don't feel any pressure. I feel like they give me confidence to allow me to do what I need to do. There's a lot of hard work that goes on behind the TV and everyone gets to see our smiles and that and fun and all that sort of thing. But it's a team that from, from behind who don't get all the credit as well enable us to do what we need to do. So I absolutely love it. And, uh, you know, I hope this uh, glorious relationship continues <laughs> for, many, for many years to come. This guy wants his own show. Uh, <laughs> 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 well, I'm with you I think that's one of the things. One of the things that makes a big, big difference is is the um, the team that actually produces this team is so much bigger, and the quality of the people that work behind the scene it does make people like us, us in front of the uh, of the camera. It does make us look a lot better. Uh, than, than what we are and Jamie you would agree with that but um, I, I, and also I've been travelling a lot for uh, for 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 the games uh, it's a big big difference for me as well in terms of how it's organised and how it's planned and how you're looked after and, um, and you know Mike has probably said everything you know you can you can, you can be yourself you can you, you can uh, but I think the most important thing is and that, that I think is is why we probably all feel like that is that the balance has been right right from the beginning it's never I've never seen the show go into where it gets over the top 
in terms of how how people react and what they say on the show and you know the jokes that we're making internally the the balance is is so well uh, struck with uh, you know the, the the analysis that the things that we are um, that we are, are, are I won't say teaching because it's such a but the things that we're trying to 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 explain from our experiences we've got people who work so so fantastically well to show us that in pictures and we can then show us only actually only Roberto who who does all his analysis himself uh, and I have I have to say this Roberto I have to say this in this book I've never seen anyone do it better than you Wow. You're so kind. You, no, I'm sure honestly. that that's something to do with again that we're facing each other eh, in a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Are you nervous? No. Why? Well, you should be. We beat you, you twice, eh? Yeah, no, no, <laughs> I know you are. Euros. I know you're the euros. Absolutely. No, <laughs> no I know. I'm not looking forward uh, to that game. No, I'm not. <laughs> And, Jamie, and Jamie, what more is there to say? I, I, I think after Michael was enough, actually. I think he ticked every box, Michael, while you went through. But, uh, but no, it is. I mean, I see the show. Obviously, I do shows in, in England, as, as we all do. And I'm probably looking at it a little bit more serious, more analytical. I feel like that's more, as Peter just said, more probably Roberto's role in that. And... Uh, Mike is there for the uh, for the energy, and I'm trying to find myself somewhere in between, and uh, and that that's where it is. But it, it is a very I see it as almost an entertainment show as well as a football show. I'm there to enjoy myself, but also hopefully people at home to enjoy uh, themselves as well. Obviously, it's in the states. I don't you know it's not like I've got family and friends watching, so I can only work off what uh, Pete says and some feedback we get, and it seems to have gone down particularly well, but. As Michael said, we just be ourselves. We, we can get serious about football when something's really serious. Think of how important the uh, the show was on on Diego Maradona. That was, you know, happened just before we went on air, and had other shows with singing and dancing, and and that's possibly the best way to sum it up. It's a show that can sort of almost tick and cover every box, and that's I think what we've tried to do. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 